All right, ladies and gentlemen, you are locked on Falcons. I'm your host, Aaron Freeman. And today is the all 22 review of the Falcons week seven win over the Miami Dolphins. We'll also be answering a listener question as well as looking at the Falcons current standing in the current locked on NFL power. You are locked on Falcons, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast, part of the locked on podcast network, your team every day. So everyone, you know me, I'm Aaron Freeman, been covering the Falcons for many years, formerly at FalcFans.com, RIP, still going strong on Twitter, at FalcFans, putting up weekly content over at the Falcoholic, the SB Nation website for the Atlanta Falcons, and also the host of this world-renowned Lockdown Falcons podcast, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast, right here on the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day. And as I said at the top, today's episode of Lockdown Falcons we're going to be talking about the all 22 from the Falcons week seven win over the Miami Dolphins, focusing on what the F- Dolphins did and did not do in the second half of that game to slow down the Falcons passing attack after a very hot start for Matt Ryan. And if there are some lessons that we can learn from that, that may impact upcoming matchups against some tougher defenses. We'll also be answering a listener question about whether it makes sense for the Falcons to potentially take a wide receiver in the first round as part of their best player available strategy. And then we'll wrap up today's episode, looking at the power rankings, go deeper into the conversation about the Falcons being a potential playoff team. But before we get into all of that, I want to thank you guys for making Locked On Falcons your first listen of the day. Of course, Locked On Falcons, like all Locked On Podcast Network shows, is free and available on all podcast platforms, including Apple, Odyssey, Google, and Spotify. And of course, free and available on YouTube, our latest podcast platform where you can see video of me talking about this Falcons team. And of course, make sure you subscribe to Locked On Falcons on your preferred podcast platform, including YouTube. And when you do on YouTube, make sure you hit that thumbs up, leave a like, leave a comment, hit the bell, all of that uh, as we keep this thing going here on YouTube. But jumping into the all 22 review, one of the things I noted on Sunday's episode in my rapid reaction to the Falcons win over the Dolphins is I wanted to see why Matt Ryan was less effective in the second half of the game passing than he was in the first half. And you look back at, you know, up to that Russell Gage touchdown at the beginning of the third quarter uh, as sort of our break point, you know, up to that point in the game, Matt Ryan had completed 82% of 22 passes for 241 yards, two touchdowns with a passer rating of 143 and an adjusted net yards per attempt of 11.7, which is obviously extremely good. Uh, After that point though, Matt Ryan only completed 39% of 18 passes for 95 yards, one interception and had a passer rating of 33 and an adjusted net yards per attempt of 2.8. And once I dove into the film, the reasons why I wanted to dive into the film, I should say is, you know, I wanted to see if Miami made any sort of major adjustments that led to the Falcons offense, you know, kind of falling off of that cliff. And that would, you know, potentially lead to other teams copying that blueprint in order to sort of keep the Falcons offense at bay over the next couple of weeks. But once I looked at the film, I didn't really see anything that stood out that Miami did differently. They continue to play basically what I seemed to expect was their general game plan, which was focusing heavy on their man coverage. And, you know, basically the conclusion I reached is just Miami's man coverage, particularly in the third quarter and in the fourth quarter 
was much more effective than it was in the first two quarters plus. Um, you know, there were maybe a few more instances where instead of having guys like Xavier Howard and Byron Joes and Eric Rowe, uh, who, you know, all got into the mix covering Kyle Pitts in those man cover situations, there was maybe a few more snaps. I noticed where Jason McCourty was on Kyle Pitts, you know, maybe two or three plays like that. And, and those seemed to be a little bit more effective than some of the previous snaps where Pitts was able to burn guys like Howard Jones and, and Rowe each throughout this game. Um, but outside of that, there wasn't a whole lot of change. And it just seemed like their man coverage, as I said, was more effective. And, you know, some of that was maybe a little bit due to Matt Ryan being a little bit off target. Um, and, and that's not meant to be a knock on Matt Ryan, because I know we, we live in this sort of a time where people tend to be a little bit more sensitive about criticism of Matt Ryan. But, you know, there was a couple of times where the Dolphins were effective due to pressure at times to move Matt Ryan off his spot. There were times where the Falcons were trying to move Matt Ryan on rollouts and whatnot. And, you know, I think there was a handful of times where he, he missed some throws, right? There was one notion, I think on the drive immediately after the gauge touchdown, uh, he tried to throw to Calvin Ridley on the sideline. It was a high pass and, and really couldn't keep his feet down in order to make it a completion. And the main reason for that ball being high was because Matt Ryan was kind of rolling to his left and didn't really plant his feet on that throw and, and sailed that ball. And there was, you know, a, a handful of other plays like that, that I think led to some incompletions on Matt Ryan's part. And so that's drove down his efficiency. But again, mo- for the most part, I think it was Miami's man coverage, just simply being better uh, in the second half than it was in the first half. They were able to contest a lot more throws, as I mentioned, on Sunday's episode, you know, six of Miami's seven pass breakups came after the Russell Gage touchdown. And so that certainly contributed to why Matt Ryan's completion percentage was much, much lower. So in conclusion, you know, I come away from watching the film, not as worried about other teams replicating Miami's success uh, moving forward in the second half because few teams play as much man coverage as Miami. New England's probably the one team that does. If you look at pro football focuses, you know, man versus zone charting, uh, the Dolphins and, and Patriots are clearly one and two in terms of the only teams in the league that the majority of their starting corners and safeties spend 50% or more of their snaps in man coverage. Dallas arguably would be third on that list. So they are a relatively man heavy team um, and, you know, not far down the list from Dallas, you know, maybe in like the six or seven spot, you could make the case that Carolina, New Orleans and Jacksonville are also there with, you know, Dallas about 42% of their snaps come in man coverage. And with Carolina, New Orleans and Jacksonville, it's somewhere around 35%. So, you know, the next five opponents for the Falcons are teams that relative to most teams in the NFL are a little bit man heavy. Um, But we've seen the Falcons take full advantage of man heavy teams like Miami and the Jets. Uh, The Jets not necessarily being as high a percentage as some of these teams I've mentioned, but certainly in that first half of the game, as I mentioned on the previous All-22 review two weeks ago, that a lot of Kyle Pitts' production in that game came uh, against the Jets' man coverage. Um, And you look at... This past week's game against Miami, three out of Pitts' five 20-plus yard plays in this game came against man coverage. His lone third down conversion uh, came against man coverage. So he had a number of big plays um, in this game. The Jets, 
in the game two weeks ago, did make the adjustment and played a little bit more zone in the second half of that game after Pitts had six of his nine receptions uh, in the first half of the game, largely most of it coming against man coverage. And that kind of slowed down Pitts to a certain extent until he made that big play late in that Jets game to help set up the sort of game ceiling score for them. Um, So I, I think, you know, my concern was that Miami moving forward, you know, a lot of teams, if Miami had made the switch to zone in the second half, my concern was that that would be a blueprint similar to what the Jets did. Okay, we can slow down this Falcons offense because Pitts is not as effective playing out of the zone, and so therefore the Falcons offense is less effective. But that wasn't the case against Miami. So that's not necessarily a blueprint that I'm expecting a lot of other teams to copy moving forward. And as I mentioned, several of the Falcons' upcoming opponents are, you know, relatively speaking, man-heavy teams. And, you know, several of those teams are not as equipped to be as confident in their man coverage as Miami was. You could make the argument that Miami, from a talent standpoint, is the team most equipped to think that we could go into this game and be able to cover Kyle Pitts one-on-one, given the presence of players like Xavier Howard and Byron Jones, arguably one of the league's premier cornerback duos in the league. And then you have safeties like Jason McCourty and Eric Rowe, who are two guys that started their careers as cornerbacks. Um, And so certainly in terms of pound for pound, they had the most cover talent in the back end of their secondary that they should have been able to do well, relatively speaking, against Kyle Pitts. And that was not the case. And it's kind of similar to the dynamic that we had when Julio Jones was here. And so you're you're hearing a lot more of that Kyle Pitts being just as good as Julio Jones buzz coming off this week and coming off the performance he had against Miami. It was exactly what we saw, you know, in that Miami game. Because when Julio was here, you saw a lot of instances where when Matt Ryan would come to the line of scrimmage and see, you know, cover one man coverage pre-snap, you know, that's a time where he would signal to Julio Jones and say, look, go deep and I'm going to throw it, throw you the ball. And, and that would be defenses opening themselves up uh, and playing that very dangerous game, uh, potentially giving up a, a big play to Julio Jones because they were putting a corner on the outside one-on-one against Julio Jones without really any real safety help. And, and that was, going to be a problem. The Falcons for many, many years exploited that when teams decided that they wanted to play a lot of man coverage against the Falcons. And it does seem like with Kyle Pitts in um, the building, the Falcons can continue to play that style of football where it's going to force teams to try to maybe rely a little bit more on zone. So we'll see how it plays out over the next couple of weeks. Certainly with some of these teams like Carolina and new Orleans, you know, I suspect that they'll, play a healthy amount of man coverage. You know, I, I suspect that those teams will be, you know, asking Jeremy Chin in Carolina and Marshawn Lattimore in New Orleans to, to cover Kyle Pitts quite a bit in those man situations. We'll see how those guys fare against them. But I think the thing that Carolina and New Orleans have going for them, that maybe Miami and the Jets don't necessarily have going for them is the pass rush is that, you know, their potential to be able to put pressure on the Falcons uh, on Matt Ryan maybe it's better than some of these other teams that we just recently played, not to scoff at Miami's pass rush, not to scoff at the Jets pass rush. Cause if you listen to this podcast, we talked about each one of those teams pass rush, potentially throwing a, a wrench into the Falcons plan, but we've seen Carolina's pass rush. We've seen new Orleans pass rush dominate the Falcons. And so I think the expectation for several of those teams is going to be that, you know, while they may not have the horses that say Miami has on the back end, 
to, to go toe to toe with Kyle Pitts and company. Um, they may feel like they can offset that somewhat by being able to get pressure on the quarterback and, and, you know, prevent the ball from getting out of Matt Ryan's hands altogether in Kyle Pitts' direction. So that's definitely going to be something that we're going to monitor moving forward as we continue uh, on lockdown Falcons. Um, and we're going to see if whether or not the Falcons offensive line and really Matt Ryan's ability to deal with pressure uh, holds up. That's been something that was a problem earlier in the season that has not been as big an issue these last couple of weeks. And I think it's no coincidence that the Falcons offense has sort of taken flight with that regard. So, you know, ultimately I think the question, you know, moving forward with the Falcons and some of their matchups coming up is going to be, can they win the battle in the trenches? And if they, they do that bodes very well for the Falcons. And if they don't, then we will have questions. So we'll see how that all plays out. That'll be something worth watching in the future. And, you know, as far as the future of today's Lockdown Falcons podcast, we're going to get into a listener question talking about the Falcons potentially entertaining taking a wide receiver in the first round and maybe, you know, drafting a, a dynamic wide receiver in the future could help the Falcons avoid some of these pitfalls that we're talking about with adding more playmakers to the mix to make it nearly impossible for teams to play man or zone against the Falcons. And we'll get into that subject as we continue today's lockdown Falcons podcast, as well as where the Falcons are rising up in terms of the power rankings. Uh, but before we get into that, I do definitely want to let you guys know about the lockdown Braves podcast, who certainly as many of you are listening to this uh, are giving you the breakdown of game one of the world series against the Houston Astros and lockdown Braves, of course is free and available on all podcast platforms as well as YouTube just launched on YouTube. So definitely go check out lockdown Braves on the YouTube platform. Make sure you subscribe to lockdown Braves on whatever your favorite podcast platform is. With that being said, guys, you know, I know when you're stuck in bumper to bumper traffic in Atlanta uh, or wherever you call home, sometimes you wind up burning through a ton of gas. Why not get some cash back so that you can save at the pump and you now can do so with GetUpside. When you open an account with GetUpside, you automatically get 25 cents back per gallon. And with that type of savings, you know, that can start to add up over time. You know, if you drive a lot, you can save up to two to $300 a month with GetUpside. And of course, you can get those cash out options almost immediately, whether it's direct payments into your bank account, whether you put that into Amazon gift cards or whether you do it with PayPal. You, there's a variety of ways to get that money back with get upside. And when you use our special promo code touchdown, you get an additional 25 cents back per gallon. So that means when you sign up, you can get up to 50 cents per gallon on your first fill up. So don't pay full price at the pump anymore. Download the free get upside app available now in the app store or on Google play and use our promo code touchdown. Again, that's get upside promo code touchdown. When you sign up to start saving every time you fill up. So our question comes from Christian Farholt at C Farholt on Twitter. He asks, would you be open to Atlanta drafting a wide receiver in round one? I'm not going to pretend to have done any proper research on the group, but given your concern with deep threats, I assume it would be acceptable if best player available is wide receiver. So I also have not done really much any research on um, this year's crop of wide receivers. I've watched one guy, Traylon Burks from Arkansas, and I only really watched him in passing because I was watching somebody else go against, I was thinking I was watching DeMarvin Leal go against Arkansas. And so I was also kind of paying attention to what Burks was doing in that game. But um, so this is more of a theoretical answer, not a specific answer about this year's upcoming crop of players. But generally speaking, longtime listeners of this podcast know that I generally advocate against 
taking wide receivers in the first round, just because generally speaking year after year, you can tend to find really good talent at the wide receiver position after round one in rounds two, three, and four. Um, and, uh, you know, for me, when it comes to building a wide receiver core, I am less as interested in having, you know, one or two elite weapons at that position, which was something that, you know, Thomas Dimitrov envisioned during his time in Atlanta. And to me, it's more about having, you know, four or five really good strong stable of players. It's like building a basketball team, right? You know, Thomas Dimitrov's philosophy is I'm going to get LeBron. I'm going to get AD, uh, Anthony Davis. And then I can just put whoever around those, the, the other just bodies uh, to put around those two guys and have a high quality starting lineup. And me, I'm like, I'm less interested in having LeBron and AD, you know, like I want good players at that one and two spot. Don't get me wrong, but I don't necessarily need to have like top five players, top 10 players or whatever you want to qualify those guys as I can just have sort of, I'd much rather have my, you know, one, two, three, four, five, you know, not have a whole ton of drop off between those guys. And I want those guys to have different skill sets, you know, in, in the basketball analogy, I want a slashing point guard. I want a spot up shooter. I want a low post uh, player or whatever guys that have differing skill set at the wide receiver position. That means vertical threats. That means underneath guys. That means chain movers. That means, you know, contested catch guys. I want guys that complement their skill sets, complement each other. Um, I want guys that can create different mismatches in the secondary where I can take advantage of, you know, this team has smaller, quicker corners, or this team has bigger, uh, longer corners, but I have different guys that can create mismatches regardless of what type of corners and safeties the opposing team has, you know, and, and typically I want guys that are, you know, big and fast, right? Size and speed, right? I want big guys that can win in contested catches, particularly when it comes down the field. I want fast guys that can take the top off of a defense when they run those vertical routes or in the instance where I need to get the ball out quickly, I can throw them short underneath stuff. And I know that they can, you know, defeat angles when it comes to making plays after the catch. Those are the things I'm looking for in a wide receiver. And there's no rule that says those types of guys are only available in round one. Now, typically if you want a guy who's both big and fast, you know, those guys tend to get drafted earlier in the draft, but you know, I can settle for a big guy. I can settle for a fast guy. I don't need guys to be both. Ideally they would be both, but I don't necessarily need to have big and fast guys that require first round picks uh, as, as it were moving forward. And so you can typically find those guys later in the draft. Um, but you know, when you compare the wide receiver position with other sort of particularly premium positions like quarterback, like cornerback, like offensive tackle, and you look at the drop off of talent at the wide receiver position versus those other positions from round one to say round three, the drop off in round one to round three at wide receiver is minimal compared to some of these other premium positions. Right. And and this was sort of, you, you saw this debate uh, go on last off season when it came to the Bengals and their top pick, whether it was Jamar Chase versus Penny Sewell. Right. And so I was on team Sewell, not because I thought Sewell was the better prospect. I thought Chase was the better, the best player available in that case. But to me, I could get a good wide receiver later in the draft in round two, then I probably get a better tackle. So to me, it was an idea of, you know, the Bengals ultimately went and got Jamar Chase in round one and, and Jackson Carmen in round two. But to me, I would have much been felt better about taking Pinay Sewell in, in round one and then getting someone like Terrace Marshall or Rondell Moore in round two. And I felt like that would have been a better combination, even if I thought Chase was the better overall prospect. So, you know, obviously Chase's performance this year makes that situation, you know, at least the argument quieter. 
Um, we'll see how it plays out long term. Obviously, you can't necessarily judge draft picks, hint, hint, uh, you know, based off of their first six or seven games. And, you know, it's really about, you know, things can change, right? Uh, Sean Merriman is a great example of a player that was incredible his first two years in the NFL and then completely fell off a cliff. Jonathan Babineau is a great example. Roddy White, to use another recent example, is is an example of a player that was struggling the first couple of years in the NFL and then, you know, year three, year four were incredible. So um, you can't judge players solely off of their first, you know, two months in the NFL. So we'll see how that plays out for the, the Bengals, but it's, it's the same sort of com- conversation. And obviously, you know, when I look at the Jamar chase situation, I would say, I don't know if his situation makes me really reassess this opinion that I have about, you know, not valuing wide receivers at that level, because I think the reason why Jamar chase is presumably the exception to the rule, if you want to declare him that is because Jamar Chase is arguably one of the most exceptional wide receiver prospects that has come out in the last decade, right? Since Julio Jones, you know, in my opinion, Jamar Chase and DK Metcalf are the two most talented wide receiver prospects I've seen in the last 10 years. Um, I'm sure other people have differing opinions in that regard, but those were the two guys that I would have given the highest grades uh, in that regard. So to me, they're kind of the exception, or at least Chase certainly would probably be the exception to the rule. And, And thus, I wouldn't necessarily feel like, oh, well, Chase proves that going wide receiver then tackle versus tackle then wide receiver is the right way to go. I just think Jamar Chase is the outlier in that regard. So um, long story short, I would probably be against it, but I wouldn't necessarily just completely close the door and say, no, you can't do it again. It depends on the context. It depends on the team. It depends on the wide receiver prospect. It depends on the other prospects. It depends on where you're picking. Like if you're picking later in first round, I'm much more open to taking a wide receiver, like where we took Calvin Ridley than I would be in the top 10, right? Because later in the first round, after a certain point in round one, you're not really getting first round talents. You're getting like second round talents. And so therefore, taking a more of a best player available approach makes a lot more sense at say pick 26 than it does at say pick six, in my opinion. Um, although again, I'm not saying don't take best player player pick six. I'm just saying like you can, you can play, you can play a little bit uh, fast and loose a, a little bit there. Cause you can factor in what can you do in rounds two and three in that assessment, going back to the Sewell versus chase argument. That's, that's the point I'm trying to make. Um, so, you know, it depends with the Falcons. I don't know what next year's wide receiver class. I don't really know what a whole lot of next year's class looks like. Cause I've only watched maybe a dozen guys. And in most of those cases, one or two games of a dozen guys. So I don't really have a good feel for that. And, you know, a lot of it depends on what the Falcons do in free agency, right? If they can fill a lot of their needs in free agency, I would be much more open to sort of a best player available approach in round one that could include a, a potentially talented wide receiver, a wide receiver that I would look at in a similar vein as a Jamar chase and say, look, this guy's an exception. This guy's a DK Metcalf type of player. I'm willing to make an exception for this guy because of how good he is. But like, let's say the Falcons are looking at an edge rusher, right? Which I, you know, if you were asking me right now, what I would bet money on the Falcons taking at the top of round one, I would bet most money on the Falcons taking an edge rusher at the top of the 2022 draft class. Um, But it depends on what edges are available. Right. Like, you know, that would certainly have uh, impact on, on that conversation. So um, to answer your question, um, I I'm open to it, but Look, the door's cracked, right? It's it's like, uh, I'm not going to completely close the door, but like, I'm not going to necessarily be in big favor of it. So, you know, then, then you, you couple in the fact that the Falcons worked out Marvin Hall today 
Uh, they didn't sign him to the practice squad. They wound up signing a defensive tackle. But the, the fact that the Falcons are looking at some faster wide receivers like Corey Coleman, like um, I can't even say his name, uh, Quincy Odaya Boicho or whatever. And, you know, they're looking at some fast wide receivers. And so, you know, I've been pushing for this day for three, four weeks now. But, like, you know, that gives me some hope that the Falcons are looking for some guys that can help stretch the defense. And so, therefore, signing Marvin Hall will mean that they don't need to take a, a wide receiver in round one next year because they will automatically have solved all their wide receiver issues. Uh, I say that somewhat facetiously, but not not 100% facetiously. I'm like, am I being serious? But anyway, guys, uh, that's where we'll leave it on today's listener question. And then we will wrap up today's episode by looking at some of the power rankings. Um, moving forward with the Falcons and, and revisiting the conversation about the Falcons playoff potential based off of those power rankings. Um, so uh, that's what we'll, we'll get into as we continue today's episode. But before we get there, guys, I want to thank you once more for making lockdown Falcons your first listen every day. And you know, while we have it, everything covered here on the Falcons side of things. And if the Falcons go out and sign Marvin Hall, they may not necessarily need to make a big, bold trade for a fast wide receiver at the trade deadline like John Ross, like I suggested on Friday, last Friday's episode when we talked about some potential Falcon trades. But, you know, beyond the Falcons, there's several other teams that are going to be talking trades at next week's trade deadline. And, of course, the Lockdown Network has you covered in that regard with the live Lockdown NFL show covering the trade deadline, not only talking trades because you know the NFL doesn't trade that much but certainly talking about the second half of the upcoming season which teams are the ones to watch so check out the live show 3 to 5 p.m. Eastern Time November 2nd Tuesday on the Locked On NFL YouTube page so football season is in full swing and as always BetOnline is your number one spot for all the pro and college football action this season with a new updated website and interface and even more odds, props and contests. BetOnline continues to be the number one source for everything football. You can just head over to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and use the promo code locked on for a 50% welcome bonus this weekend. The Falcons are two and a half point favorites at home against Carolina. The Hawks are six point road favorites against the Pelicans on Wednesday and the Thursday night's NFL action has Arizona six and a half point favorites versus Green Bay. Whichever one of those bets you like, BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports from football, basketball, baseball, boxing, right to your favorite Vegas casino games. Don't wait and take advantage of all the amazing offers available at BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. So, guys, we are in the midst of spooky season and Built Bar has the appropriate limited time flavor called a paranormal pumpkin. And like all built bars, I've tried it myself. Paranormal pumpkin tastes great. It's healthy too. It's only 140 calories with seven grams of sugar and packing 17 grams of protein in each bite. But if that flavor isn't quite up your alley, of course you can still get great flavors at built bar, like peanut butter, brownie, salted caramel, coconut, almond cookies and cream, strawberry puff, Blueberry muffin, Rocky Road, cherry lime, mint brownie, cherry barcia, and so much more. Built Bars, the best tasting protein bar on the market, are great because they taste just like a candy bar. They contain 100% real chocolate. They're soft and easy to chew, but you get none of the guilt of eating a candy bar because Built Bars are healthy too. They're low in sugar and calories, high in protein and fiber. Go order yourself some today at Built.com. Use the promo code LOCKED15 and you'll get 15% off your first order. That's promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at Built.com. So let's talk about the Locked On NFL Power Rankings. And one of the benefits of doing this show on YouTube is that we can do graphics. 
And if you're not subscribed to YouTube, Locked On Falcons on YouTube, then you're going to miss these graphics. But I'll do the best for you audio listeners to describe what the YouTube watchers are seeing. But, of course, go subscribe to Locked On Falcons on YouTube. So, as you can see, the Falcons are currently 24th on the Locked On NFL Power Rankings. And these are all voted on by the various Locked On NFL hosts, as well as some others. And the Falcons are 24 now. That's up two spots from 26 last week in the Power Rankings. And our next opponent in Carolina is 22, which is down from 20, after they just lost to the 27th ranked New York Giants. Um, now, the debate that you guys have seen raging on amongst Falcon fans and even these Falcon fans, I kind of find annoying, you know, Mr. Negativity. Yes. It's Aaron Freeman. Mr. Negativity is saying like, all right, guys, you got to give it a, a rest with the, Oh, they've only beaten three bad teams. So it's true. They have beaten only three bad teams and we need to see more of this team before we put too much uh, stock and hype into this team, but you can only beat the teams that you play. And, you know, you notice on these power rankings, the Giants are 27, Dolphins 29, the Jets are 31. Those are the teams that the Falcons have beat. The Falcons at 24 sandwich in between the Eagles and Washington or 23 and 25 respectively. So it does look worse that the Falcons blew two golden opportunities to win those games. Um, I'm not necessarily a big proponent of the coulda, shoulda, wouldas. But, you know, you can certainly make a case given the Falcons' failure to finish that game against Washington and their failure to show up really at all against Philadelphia with a team that looks very vulnerable uh, in the week since that week one game that you can make the case that the Falcons, if they had taken care of business against this week schedule should be five and one right now. Uh, But you know, again, woulda, coulda, shoulda. So I think, you know, what we're going to hopefully look back on, you know, a couple of weeks from now or a couple of months from now is this 24th ranked is going to be the lowest the Falcons will be from the remainder of the season. We, we saw them climb slowly out of the bottom three, the bottom five, um, earlier this year. Um, but you know, my hope is that we're not going to see this team rank lower than 24 because they're going to start winning more games. We'll, we'll revisit the power rankings a little bit later, but you know, I don't want to necessarily end every episode reacting to comments on previous videos, but, uh, I couldn't help some comment notice some comments on yesterday's episode where the athletics, Josh Kendall joined me and we talked a little bit about the potential of the Falcons being a playoff team and some people being dismissive of that conversation. And, you know, I think one of the downsides of being on YouTube is that, you know, there's a the prevalence of people commenting before they actually watch the content of the episode is much higher than it would be if we were audio only podcast. And, you know, I think some people were reacting maybe to the title of the episode, which is are the Falcons playoff contenders. Now, some people were reacting to the thumbnail of those episodes uh, where, you know, it was talking about playoff bound and whatnot. And, you know, I'm sure some of the higher ups at locked on don't necessarily want me to say this, but you guys got to recognize that the titles and thumbnails of those episodes are meant to sort of draw you in. Right. And I don't want to call them clickbait because I don't think they're misleading in any way. It's basically asking a question. And then by listening to the episode or watching the episode, you'll get the answer to that question. But it is one of those things where it's like, I think, you know, probably some people reacted to seeing that and saying, you know, and commented without really listening to the content of the episode. Because if you listen to the content of the episode, I think both Josh and I agreed that the Falcons are probably not a playoff team, but you know, I think Josh and I, you know, and I'll continue on today's episode laid out a potential pathway for the Falcons to be a playoff team. And and that would include the team doing well over this next month of the season where they're facing uh, uh, several teams that aren't significantly higher on the various power rankings um, that, you know, 
we're, we're talking about. And so these are winnable games. Now I, I look at the Dallas game as probably the least winnable of this next five or so game stretch. Um, you know, I, not to say that Dallas is unbeatable, but I just generally don't have enough confidence in the Falcons defense to get the necessary amount of stops on the road, given, you know, I think Dallas is seven and one in Dak's last eight home starts or something like that. So I don't have that level of confidence in the Falcons uh, to be able to beat Dallas, assuming uh, that they continue to play the way that they've been playing so far this year. But when I look at, you know, Carolina, New Orleans, New England, I, I think those are definitely winnable games. And so the the context of the, the playoff conversation, getting back to the power rankings is, you know, you're, you're looking at several winnable games. You're, you're looking at the top of these power rankings. Look at the, you know, the top five NFC teams, right? Five of the top six teams in these power rankings are NFC teams. And, you know, obviously there's still a lot of football left to be played and we'll see what happens. But assuming that nothing crazy happens, you can pretty much say at this point in time that there's a high probability that five of the seven playoff spots in the NFC are locked up. Right. And so you look at the, the two remaining spots and I think these power rankings do reflect the two teams. The next two NFC teams are the saints and the Vikings. And they're at, um, what, 14 and 16 on the power rankings, they would probably be the two teams that I would probably put the most money on getting the six and seven seed at this point in time in the season. But after that, it's kind of anybody's game. And, you know, I, I don't feel like the, the gap between the Saints and the Falcons, at least based off of what I've seen from the Saints the last couple of weeks, is significant. Right? I think the Saints have certainly played better this season than the Falcons have overall, but I don't feel like the Saints are this juggernaut of a, of a football team. They have a good defense, but their offense is, is kind of middling. Right. And so I think at this point in time, when you look at some of these other teams like the 49ers, like the Seahawks, like the Panthers, in comparison to the Falcons that are sort of in contention right after the Saints and Vikings. And given how 49ers have struggled, the Panthers have struggled, the Seahawks have struggled as of recently and the Falcons are playing some of their better football. I don't think it's crazy to sit here and think that the Falcons are potentially an ascending team um, in regards to some of these teams. So why wouldn't we sit here today? and think that maybe this team has an outside shot at making the postseason. I don't don't see why there's any reason for people to be so negative in that regard. Again, you know, look, this is coming from me who's very critical of the Falcons the first three weeks of the season. This is coming from me who's reputed for being the guy that likes to pee in the punch bowl when people are too high. You know, I'm, I'm not sitting here saying that, you know, we should start booking our reservations for hotels in Dallas or LA or, or whatever the case may be, you know, come January at this point in time, we, we need to see what this team can do over the next couple of weeks. But when we're talking about the things that we, you've heard me talk about on this podcast over the last week or so, going back to an episode about the importance of offensive production and how team success is more to- closely tied to offensive success than it is to defensive success. And then offensive success is often tied to how explosive an offense you are. And you're coming off the game with the Falcons were as explosive as they were against Miami. You know, now I don't think Cal Pitts is going to do what he did against Miami every single week, but given that we saw Russell Gage get in on some of that explosive play action, a player that is rarely makes explosive plays throughout his career in the NFL and couple that with the fact that the Falcons haven't truly unlocked Calvin Ridley's ability yet. There's no reason to think that the Falcons offense isn't necessarily pointing up in that regard. So this sort of recent rise that we're seeing could continue over these next couple of weeks. Obviously they're going to be facing much better competition than they have the last couple of weeks in which they've won some games, right? You look at defensive DVOA rankings for, according to football outsiders, 
Uh, Miami's 25th, Washington is 28th, the Jets are 29th. It's probably not a coincidence that the Falcons offense started to look good against some collectively bad defenses. And this upcoming week, you know, they have Carolina, who's 11th in defensive rankings. New Orleans is third. Dallas is 10th. New England is 14th. So they're going to definitely be tested. We're going to find the true measure of this offense over the next month uh, going up against some of these better defenses. And people won't be able to simply sit there and say, well, they just beaten bad teams. Right. And so that's what's at stake. That's the reason why we're having this conversation today so that you can contextualize what's going to happen over the next month. Right. It's not sitting here saying, oh, the Falcons are going to go three and one over the next month and definitely going to make the play. I don't know. They could get the, the break speed off of them by Carolina and New Orleans over the next couple of weeks. They could get absolutely destroyed over the next month by these three or four better teams than them. That's certainly a possibility. No one's dismissing that as a possibility. But at the same time, this is what's at stake. This is the time where the Falcons can prove, okay, is this team a legit playoff contender? And all of a sudden we can go back to, you know, again, I know everybody sits here and tells you, Hey, everybody knew that this team was going to be bad and rebuilding this year. And I'm sitting here going like, look guys, I got hard data that tells me that a majority of the fan base thought this team was potentially going to be in playoff contention. I got hard data telling me that, right? So when people sit here and and be like, Oh, of course, everybody knew the team was going to be bad. I'm like, nah, I don't think that's true. I think that's you basically using that as a coping mechanism to basically, you know, brush off the fact that the team is underperforming and you just don't want to look stupid by being the person. Oh, I know better. Cause I thought the team was going to be bad to begin with. And it's like, okay, you know, like I, I think that's a lot of it. Like I will readily admit, I expected this team to be in playoff contention right now. If you ask me, in terms of wins and losses, you know, seven or eight wins to me was about where I thought they would be, but wasn't that too big a stretch to think that they could get to nine and eight, which I think is probably what you would need to get to, to make the postseason. It's not far from that. So, you know, if I think the team is eight, nine, and I think nine and eight is going to get you in the postseason, then I kind of think you're a playoff team. So I say that, this this next month, this week against Carolina, the next week against New Orleans is the time where the Falcons can prove that. Now, whether they do, I have no idea. But if you're the type that, you know, thinks stop worrying about January and let's worry about upcoming week of well, guess what, guys? Tomorrow's crossover Thursday. So you can get the inside scoop on what's going on with this Carolina team. And I can tell you, spoiler alert, uh things are trending down for Carolina while they're trending up for Atlanta. So that's why you can have a little bit more optimism this week. Now, if we were, if we were going on the road to face Dallas this week, you know, I think the Falcons, this optimism would come crashing down to earth a little bit, but we're not there yet. So we'll see what happens. And we'll get into that conversation tomorrow with Julian council, the host of locked on parents on crossover Thursday. And before we duck out of here, guys, and if you want to send in your feedback and ask questions for future episodes, of course you can do so on Twitter at locked on Falcons on Facebook at locked on Falcons. You can leave an email to locked on Falcons at mail.com or leave a comment here on the locked on Falcons, YouTube page on any video. I will do my best uh, to answer it. You know, if, if it's specifically you want answer for a Q and a, just say it's for a Q and a or whatever the case may be. Um, but that's where we'll leave it here guys. And, you know, before we wrap up, I do want to let you guys know uh, about another recommendation. In addition to locked on Braves, locked on Hawks for your second listen of the day, make sure you check out the Peacock and Williamson podcast. One of the national shows here on the lockdown podcast network, giving you a lowdown on all 32 teams. Maybe they'll be talking about why the Panthers are struggling, or maybe they'll be talking about the Falcons ascending. 
in the, in the near future on those episodes. So definitely check out Matt Williamson and Brian Peacock's analysis on all 32 NFL teams by checking out the Peacock and Williamson podcast available on all podcast platforms. Guys, I appreciate you for tuning in for another episode of Lockdown Falcons. Till then.